Hello and welcome to episode 7 of Ferg on a Freak. I'm that bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can find me on Twitter at AndrewRLP. And joining me is the glorious king of Rugby League, League Freak. You can find him on Twitter at League Freak. How are you today, mate? Uh, I'm dying. I've got some sort of flu, but I had a good run. So, uh, you know, next episode will be the Memorial Podcast. Rest in peace, League Freak. But I've died before, so that's all fine. We better pump a few out then. Yeah. (laughs) And commiserations. I should put that in there as well. Yeah. It's like, uh, I always remember when Top Gear, they said that any of the, if any of them died, uh, the plan was that in the next episode, they go, well, and they just get on with it. Yeah. Yeah. I like that approach. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of, speaking of death and and misery, um, Greg Inglis retired during the week and, (laughs) um, I don't mean this in a bad way, but some of the reports and the way some of it was talked about um, and some of the highlight reels made it out like a poor bugger had passed away. Yeah. Um, and yes, it's it's sad. No doubt about that. The blokes was an absolute beast of a player on the field. No doubt about that. We covered this in the last episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but I suppose that we did find out that there was a new issue that come out of that, and that mm-hmm. is the the issue of his salary and he's on mm-hmm. quite a bit, and how mm-hmm. South are going to manage to deal with that, and how, I guess, I assume they got out of having to pay it and having it included in the salary cap. Is that yeah. your, your understanding of it, mate? Yeah, and I mean, he would be one of the highest paid players, and rightfully so. And the idea was that he basically said, look, because I'm stepping away, I'm going to, you don't have to pay me my salary, um, which would normally happen if a player got a season-ending injury. They would get paid out for the rest of their contract and their contract would count towards the cap because of that. And the idea is that Greg has said, look, I, I don't feel comfortable taking a salary when I'm not playing and so I, I'm going to forfeit the rest of my, my contract for the rest of this year. And so that allows South to have a million-plus dollars that they can spend for the rest of this season. Now, one of the interesting things is that NRL clubs have to spend over a certain amount in under their cap. So you can't have a team that only spends half the salary cap to save money. They have to spend a certain amount of money. I don't think that will kick in in this instance. But what South Sydney now can do is they can spend a million dollars. They might get one superstar player. They might get a couple of really good players. And what we're seeing is People are blowing up about that because they're saying, oh, well, how are they really going to pay Greg Inglis? How is he really going to get his money? Because it's so much money to leave on the table. And it's really starting to be a little bit messy because it's starting to say that there's something underhanded going on. And, I, you know, I don't like that. If there's some evidence of that happening, fair enough. But unless there's evidence of that happening, people need to just shut up. Yeah, I think the only um, question I have is how much difference is what English is getting out of this situation and what South are getting out of it, more more importantly, yeah. to what the West Tigers were trying to do with Robbie Farrar. Yeah, yeah. Um, because, because they, it was, they agreed to some it was ambassadorial a role. situation there. Yeah, and they sort of agreed to some ambassadorial role there to try and help, I suppose, deal with the fact that he was on a pretty high salary. Not as much now as he used to be, but mm-hmm. the sort of their way of trying to repay him for a lot of the money that he took in pay cuts, I guess, over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I suppose the foolish thing for the West Tigers, they came out and made it public and they tried to be honest about it. Um, that's a no-no. You don't do that. 
You don't be honest in rugby league. What the that hell were they thinking? Nowhere. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to figure out what the what the major differences are between the yeah. two incidents and why Souths are able to um, have this arrangement, which I must admit I don't think is a is a bad way of working it. Yeah. But I also at the same time understand the criticism that's copying at the same time because of some inherent. Um, inconsistencies with it, given what happened with Farrah and, and the drama there and the implication that, um, you know, the Tigers have now got their salary cap handicapped, essentially, for the next two years because of that. Yeah, yeah. And I, I understand that. And I, the, th- the difference in this case, in my opinion, is that because Inglis is on so much money, like this isn't a few hundred thousand dollars here or there, it's probably well over a million dollars. And I can't imagine that even South Sydney, with the the good backing that they have, I can't imagine that they have the ability to say, well, look, we're going to bring in somebody on a million plus dollars under the cap, and we're going to kind of find some way to pay Greg Inglis a million plus dollars, whether it be an ambassador role or something like that. I I can't imagine that that's even a possibility for Souths. I guess... My point of view is, and look, it might be a little bit naive, I accept that, as long as the NRL is fine with everything that's happening, I'm fine with it, and however they work it out. Um, you know, it. I can see where it could turn into a rort, and if the, the door is open even a little bit in that regard, every other team will kick it down. So the the NRL has to be very careful about this. But I just think in this instance, and look, I would be cynical most times, but for so much money and the fact that Greg Inglis has been forced to retire and he has been on really good money for so long, I, I tend to think that this might actually be a case where Greg Inglis has actually said, look, I'm not going to take a salary and South Sydney actually have the capacity to replace him under the cap and and i might be very naive about it but that's the way i kind of feel about it yeah look i'm i as i said i understand the the animosity towards what's happened but at the same time Mm. i think i think the NRL needs to be smarter about dealing with um people who have become medically retired because yeah essentially i don't i don't think it's right that a player who becomes medically retired and physically cannot be be playing anymore should have their salary from that point onwards included in the cap because the club's not getting any benefit out of them and they yeah. won't be getting any benefit out of them. That player is going to be done and dusted. Yeah. So I'm okay with the idea that um, this is not going to be life, that the player gets paid out their contract as they normally would if they were playing um, outside of the cap. Yeah. If, and that would save the NRL having to get involved in any way. Um, perhaps they could broker a deal whereby the player gets paid at a reduced rate. Or, mm-hmm. you know, like if, say, for example, Inglis gets a a job with the Bunnies and he's earning 300 grand a year, mm. instead of paying him out, you know, the rest of his contract and then giving him a 300 grand job on top of that per year, just take that that salary out of the payout. So he gets, you know, if he had to get a payout of 1.5, and he's taking a 300,000 job, just give him 1.2 and a 300,000 job. He's still getting his 1.5, yeah. you know. Yeah. Try and try and reduce the impact that way, I guess, a little. But, um, 
when it comes to players getting retired, and it's going to happen, as we've seen, you know, horror injuries can happen at the drop of a hat, and yeah. these players are probably going to need a big chunk of money sometimes. I mean, Alex McKinnon's a good example. Yeah. You know, and that big lump of cash getting handed to them up front could actually be very, very useful when they've got to go and have pretty important surgery or operations or they've got to modify their lifestyles or the houses and stuff like that. Um, and I don't think it's fair that the club should have to cop that and be impacted in future seasons because of an unfortunate accident that's retired a player. Yeah. So I'd, I wouldn't be opposed to the player having their contract paid out and you know they make any arrangement they want with the player after that. They're not a, they're not a player anymore. But yeah, that and may it's be not like South Sydney gets some sort of um, bonus by Greg Inglis not playing for them this year. You know, it's, it's that bloody Greg playing, Inglis. Yeah, and and it's not like they wanted this to happen. Like, no. is this is really unfortunate? And I think the other thing is too, as long as they're putting out. The, a group of players in their squad is under a certain amount of money. I mean, Greg Inglis is not going to have any effect on what happens on the football field for the rest of the year. And if they can come to some sort of, like if there are guidelines for this it, going forward, I've got no problems with it, as you say, as long as it can't be rorted or that maybe it only happens. Because I, I would guess that with certain certain size payouts you would have to go through insurance. There'd be some sort of insurance element. Yeah. And I, I would be surprised if Greg Inglis's salary wasn't insured. Um, as long as there's certain boxes that are ticked and the player is retired for forever, I, I, I agree with you. I don't see any problems with having the capacity to say, look, this player is retired now and we can't go forward, even if it means they have, to, even if it is only retirements mid-season, you know, they have to have played games during the year and they literally cannot go on anymore. Um, I, I've, I don't really see the problem with it, but it has to be made so it's not a rot, that it's not a golden handshake on the way out. And I don't think this is, this would be a golden handshake. And it seems like maybe that the golden handshake isn't there for Greg Inglis anyway. But as long as it's not turned into a way that clubs can give a golden handshake to a player, I've got no problems with it going forward. Yeah, you don't want to be seeing players um, and clubs come to an agreement where the club knows the player's going to retire next mm. year. And so yeah. the club says, look, we'll put you on a, uh, a million-dollar contract over four years and you retire in six months' time. Yeah. yeah that's, that's not on. So what I'd have is have the contract paid out for the current year they're in only, even if they sign for three years. The other two years are just completely nulled, yeah, just written off, and they just pay yeah. out their contract for the current year, and what's paid out isn't included in the cap. Yeah. The other thing I'd have in the case of players like Inglis, so it can't be rorted by the club, is they can only bring in one player to replace him. Yeah. Doesn't oh, matter who it idea. is. Yeah. So that way they're not sitting there going, right, let's we've just saved we've just freed up one million dollars. Let's bring in three players on three hundred and fifty grand each or whatever, or three hundred and thirty yeah. grand each. And we can bolster our depth and stuff like that because I think that would be an unfair advantage. If they could only bring in one player, you're not going to get a massive benefit out of that. You're just getting, you just, at best, you're going to replace like for like. Yeah. And you're not increasing your squad depth or anything like that. So you're not getting a too immediate um, advantage out of it. I think that's the, the best way to deal with that situation. Yeah. And uh, like, 
I think that's a great idea. At the moment, there's talk that uh, Roberts might come from Brisbane down to the Rabbitohs. I don't know if that's the best idea. Um, Roberts is a great player, but it seems like he's dealing with a few things at the moment, and I don't know that... Um, you know, you want him to be in a good environment. I don't, and he's been with a few Sydney clubs and it hasn't worked out. Uh, so there's him. I brought up the idea that maybe they would look at Israel Folau and have a, a him as a replacement, but there's obviously a lot of things that need to happen between, you know, now and potentially signing Folau for that to happen. And I know that Peter Beattie said that he wouldn't be welcome in rugby league. I think that, you know, the AIO would fold on that as soon as the club started talking to a, to Israel Folau and his management. Um, but, yeah, I, I like the idea that you would only be allowed to sign one player because you wouldn't want South to be able to then go out and, you know, cannibalise other clubs too much during the season. That wouldn't be... I don't think anyone would stand for that. No, that was completely unfair. Um mm. Yeah, I think they've got a lot of options they can look at. So, but knowing that they they can only get one player, I think that makes them realise that they can't. Yeah, you know, there's there's no way you can rot that 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 yeah. system there. Yeah, and there's it's a massive commitment too. If you get someone like Roberts, and say they were going to pay him even nine hundred thousand dollars a year, to think that and look, some clubs might try and do it, but. It would be very difficult for a club to be playing, paying Inglis $1 million a year in some if there was some alleged rort going on, and Roberts $900,000 a year. I don't think most clubs would be willing to do that themselves. That's right. Okay, what else have we got what on we the got? agenda? Right, well, we've got that lovely, splendid gentleman up in North Queensland, um, Josh McGuire. He mm-hmm. got a bit friendly with, with one of the Cowboys' faces the other day. Um, yeah. And managed. It, it looked to me like he was generally trying to do a bit of um, facial gardening. Yeah, I'd it like didn't look it. good. No, it was it was bloody ugly. Um, yeah. And I come out and said, look, anyone who attempts to do eye gouging, whether they're successful at it or not, you, it's not something that you do accidentally when you go look for someone's eyes with your hands. People's hands should not be on a player's face at any point in a game of rugby league. Mm-hmm. So I said that perhaps. There needs to be an immediate automatic, like, yeah, just pull the figure out of my backside, really. But I said maybe an automatic 10-week suspension yeah. and a, and no pay for a player mm-hmm. who attempts eye gouging because you need to get the message across. And yeah. I always have this impression that punishments should also serve as deterrence. If you're going to give someone who earns 20 grand a month or whatever it is, or probably more than that, 50 grand a month, um, to if you're going to give them a three thousand five hundred dollar fine for something yeah. like eye gouging, yeah, that's laughable. Yeah, that's laughable. Whereas if you said to that bloke, right, we're going to suspend you for two and a half months, and that's going to be a, you know one hundred and thirty grand of of money you don't get. Now you're starting to hit them where it hurts, mm-hmm. um, and you're making a bolder statement then. And as soon as you say that, this is what the punishment's going to be going forward from now on. No one's going to be putting hands in the players' faces, guaranteed. Yeah. And yeah. The, someone actually raised a, a better um, idea to me, and that was um, perhaps you could suspend, the, um, penalise them a percentage of their fees so that it's it's um, an equivalent number for every single player. So if someone is on a hundred grand a year, yeah. you know they're being penalised an equivalent mm-hmm. figure. So 
that's also a good workable solution as well. But um, I think it needs to be something heavy and drastic because that's just that's shit behaviour and has no place in the game of football anywhere. Yeah, and like there were people saying, oh, that the two players are friends and stuff, and you know, it what the, they said that the reason that the NRL didn't prosecute the uh, offence was because it just happened to be outside of the camera angle like when it happened, the exact moment that it happened. And I understand that because it would be difficult for the judiciary to bring them in and say, this happened. I, I think any good lawyer would be like, show me, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's something that can't be allowed. Uh, and it's weird. It's one of those areas. There's two things in the game that are, are sort of a gray area. And that's when there's an offense like this, where a player needs to make an accusation, accusation about eye gouging. And it's similar when there's an accusation about uh, biting incidences as, yep. as well in the game. It, it's this weird extra thing within the game's disciplinary policies where you kind of need the player to come out. And I understand why you need a player to come out because sometimes these things aren't seen in tackles, especially when it comes to biting incidents. But it's strange that we still have this in the game. And I, I just find it really strange that we still rely on a player to make the allegation that, yeah, I was bitten or, yeah, I was eye-gouged because, I don't know, it just doesn't sit right with me that we need to do that. No, look, and I think... You know, when you're dealing with things like eye gouging more than anything, there's just, you know, it's so blatantly when someone's going to try and do it. You just don't need to have your hands there. And so no. it doesn't matter. That's what, that's what I get out of this. It doesn't matter whether he gets his hands in the eyes or not. Just yeah. don't put your hands in people's faces. I mean, yeah. you've only got to talk to players like Wayne Pierce to talk about the impact it has later on in life. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, though, because that. in the... In the uh, Parramatta Eels versus Canberra Raiders game, and Blake Ferguson got his nose badly broken. And throughout the game, the Raiders players, and look at, if you ask me, it's fair game. They're all making sure that they put pressure on his face and on his nose during the game. And so you get an instance like that where, look, it's, it's gamesmanship and it goes back to rugby league being a sport a tough sport where you're out there with busted nose, man, you, you better be prepared to get some attention, but then yeah, you get, sorry. You know, am, am I wrong? Am I wrong with that? No, look, I was going to say, um, I, I don't mind that, that approach when it's an area of the body that you're legally allowed to hit. Yeah. But when it's the face, I think it's a bit different. Like I understand the reason why they did it. He chose to stay on. So a part of me says, he, he has to bear the brunt of those consequences mm-hmm. because he said, you know what, I'm going to stay on and keep playing. So, you know, you're going to get targeted there. That's just that's just a fact. But mm-hmm. if it was someone who was playing on with a busted arm, like Sims was a couple of weeks ago, yeah, and players wanted to keep charged up and smash him in the arm, even though it's completely busted. I mean, they don't know it's broken. Mm-hmm. Um, that That's fair game. It's a place of the body that you can legally hit. It may be yeah. a bit grubby, but, you know, that's the way it is. I mean, players have been doing that since day one, you know, Players taken to the field with a knee brace, so defenders are going out and tackling on that same knee over and over again and hope that it'll buckle, you know. Yeah, It's yeah. always gone on. Um, but, yeah, I think just when it's the face, it's, you know, you're not allowed to hit the face in the tackle or the head. Um, yeah. I just think it should be one part of the body that's just sacrosanct. You can't go near. 
And I, and I think the NRL judiciary over the years has made it very, very clear that when it comes to your fingers, keep your fingers out of the eyes and keep your fingers away from the prostate. They're the two areas you cannot put your fingers in this game. Yep, they don't go in anywhere. No, no. Any orifice, just keep them out. Just keep them out. Keep yeah. your hands and your fingers to yourself, people. Exactly, exactly. Right, well, speaking of injuries... Yes. With a very poor segue there. Um, yes. We had quite a quite a few bad ones over the last few weeks, um, mm. including Nene McDonald, um, that horrible broken ankle. God, that looked bad. Yeah, that was um, terrible. And we had the issue where people were blowing up, and rightfully so, given what we found out later on with his injury, and even what you saw in the replay, mm. um, about how the game continued to, to go on after he was down on the ground with his teammate. Um, and the referee was he was in a position where he couldn't win because his job is to keep the game flowing. That's his directive. Yeah. And the system was brought in during the year which said um, if the play needs to stop, the, the team medical or the team officials need to contact the sideline official to get them to contact the referee. Um, my problem with this is the referees, including the sideline officials, have to keep going with the play, which means they're a moving target. It's hard for the side, you know, officials on the sideline for a club to speak to the sideline referee and he's running down the field with the referee as well. So yeah. I had an idea where perhaps the medico who goes onto the field to treat the player initially to find out what the issue is, he should be mic'd up and so that he can talk directly with the bunker instead yeah. of having to go with sideline officials. And that way the bunker can immediately tell the referee, you need to stop the play, there's an issue. Mm-hmm. And it also gets rid of... I mean, it's almost like a game of bloody Chinese whispers. It's like, you tell this person, you tell this person. Yeah. By the time it gets down the line, the referee's saying, you know, what? My car's on fire? <laughs> like, it, you know, I, I think that there needs to be something like that in place. And maybe if you bring in a rule where that only can't, if that comes into effect and the referee does get asked to stop the game by a medical official, that that player then either has to leave the field for even if it's like 10, 15 minutes or something like that, or they can't come back because then it can't be used as a tactic to slow down the game or or stop the game if the opposition is attacking the line or something like that. There definitely needs to... There's definitely a better way to go around about it, though, because um, it, there's too much for the ref to be doing. I mean, he's only a human being. You can't have him doing everything... As, you know, they're trying to referee the game and then we also want them to have eyes in the back of their head and and to be listening to the touches and everyone. It's just too much too much for one person to take in. Um, so I can't really blame the referee in that instance, but we do need some better system in place, that's for sure. Yeah, the, the communication is the main thing there and it's something that the referees rely heavily on now. And mm-hmm. I think... I think using some sort of archaic method of, you know, sending some bloke to run after someone with a pigeon, you know, you can send this message yeah. on to so-and-so. It's, yeah. We don't need that when we've got so much technology in the game that can make things a lot more faster and better. Yeah. Um, so and my idea is to have the, the actual medic, not the trainer who runs out with the, the face washer and the bloody, you know, bucket of water. He, yeah. He's right, largely useless, but actually the actual medic, you can actually tell when there's a genuine injury. He should be the one mic'd up to speak to the bunker or directly to the referee if need be, but something along that lines. Get rid of this whole chasing someone else to tell someone else, Caper, as you said. It's just that's 
it's time wasting. That is in a wrong way because you want to get yeah. these players off the ground and treat it as quickly as possible. Yeah, and it's just refining a system that, let's be honest, works pretty well at the moment. Yeah. Like, this was an extreme scenario where the play was about 60 metres away. It was going in a different direction. I can understand where, it, like, it was two players that were down together. It was a f- bit of a funny situation. Um, and we saw other situations later on in the round where, you know, players were down, uh, like uh, in the Newcastle game, I think it was Guerrera was down on the ground and the play was coming towards him and the play was stopped. You know, this has just been a funny situation and it's really shown that there's maybe a little bit of a better way to do things and any time you can improve the game, let's do it. Exactly, and the game's been pretty good at at, um, evolving and moving with decisions and stuff like that. Most yeah. of its career, so I've I've got confidence that the NRL will will come up with a better system pretty quickly, and they'll they'll sort that out pretty soon. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Now, I guess one more thing, which um, I've just thought of right now, which we didn't mention before the start of the show, was I've produced some stats during the week about yes. um, players aged thirty years or older in the any NRL era, um, and I suppose it raised some questions about why why the number has steadily increased. So just yep. to give you a bit of a rundown, in 1998, 8.17% of the players were aged 30 years or older. Um, and in 2010, that was the first time that the percentage hit 10%. It was 10.1.5%. And it's never gone backwards from there. Mm. This year, it's the highest it's been since 98, and that's at 16.57% uh, of players are 30 years or older. And I thought it might be a good idea to probably look into why we think that number of um, players uh, over 30 mm-hmm. is increasing and increasing at a pretty steady rate. It's never, these figures sort of wobble a little bit up and down, but it's constantly moving in an upwards direction overall trend wise. Um, so why do you think it's, it's made that jump? And especially the last two years, it's jumped pretty significantly. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's two things that <laughs> jump out to me. I think the preparation and, um, for players going into games and the medical facilities and and everything that they have to use, their training methods, they're they're always being refined. So I think that you've got just that evolution of preparing players for what they have to go through in the game is better. Um, Medicine is definitely better. So they're getting better medical treatment and things like that. And I think the last thing I would probably look at is the fact that because there's so much money in the sport right now, whereas in the past you might have got a player that could maybe play a couple of more years but was maybe over it, was maybe over the grind and was looking to do something outside of football. These days, a lot of players, once they leave football, if they go into a different career, that career is not going to pay as much as rugby league does for them. And so there's maybe that incentive to stay in the game a lot longer because there's more money in the game these days. And I think that that all comes together to see the the march upwards for older players to stick around. And I also think that we've had some players stick around. And I think of uh, Sivanasiva and Gallon, players that are at the extreme levels of, of being an older player in the NRL. I mean, you know, Steve Menzies was another one that played very, very late into his career. Um, I always remember 
uh, Stanley Jean over in the UK, and the, he was a 35 year old player for about 15 years. Yeah. So there's some. There's been some players that are outliers. I mean, Cliff Lyons was another one who uh, you, you could always have a joke about how old he was. But I think that, yeah, there's a just a, a bunch of different things that come together. And I think it's something you'd probably see in a lot of different sports as well, where in the NFL you've got Tom Brady, who's 40, um, and there's older players in the NFL these days. And I think it's just something that's generally happening across all sports and for the same reasons as well. Yeah, look, I... I was trying to figure out, um, and I probably should have done a bit more research before launching into it, I guess, but um, I was trying to figure out when the salary cap increases came along in the NRL, and I was wondering if the upward trends corresponded with increases in the salary cap. Yeah, yeah. And I'm pretty sure there was one around 2010. Yeah. But we've had a few... The cap's been sort of increasing at a more rapid rate in the last decade than ever before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was thinking maybe that's part of the reason is... They're getting paid better, but as they get older, they can take those pay cuts to keep playing, but they're still probably earning more than they would have done a year ago at the same age. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, because so, I mean, with an extreme cap rise, if you and we've seen a couple of them uh, over the last say ten years, whereas once a star player was on five hundred thousand dollars, now you can be just a pretty good player and be on five hundred thousand dollars. Exactly. Um, so I think that might be a, a a pretty important factor too. And a lot of clubs, because there's all the young players coming through, I think a lot of clubs are hanging on to these experienced players, knowing that they can give them a decent salary and not have to give them huge amount of playing time as well. So yeah. players like Paul Gowan, for example, is a good one because he's not playing 80 minutes a game anymore when he's on the field. He's playing, you know, probably 45, 50 minutes a game and he spends a bit of time on the bench but he's helping the next generation get that start and get in there. And, you know, experienced players have an awful lot of value to a club everywhere. They they get to that age too where they stop thinking about what's best for them. They start thinking about what's best for the club and they're thinking forward because they know that their career is pretty much over. Mm. So it's not about their legacy anymore. It's about trying to um, trying to bring through the next crop of players and feel like you're you're achieving in a different area again, which I think is where Gallon's at at the moment. Um, and so I think there's other, other areas like that. And the one you spoke of about as well, which was the improvements in, um, in body science and diet and stuff like that is massively is important as well as is treatment of injuries. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've been surprised at the treatment for broken bones in a number of different sports, uh, where, the time frame for a player coming back seems to be getting shorter and shorter for that. And there's less issues. I mean, you, you think about when Mal Meninga for a long time, he was breaking his arm like all the time, the poor bugger. Um, I feel like that the way that they treat broken bones these days is so much better than it used to be. And so the time frame, they're getting back quicker and they're having less complications as they play going forward. So that's definitely got to be factored into it. Um, One of the things I would be interested to look at is when the NRL was going through a period where they were bringing player payments back down after the Super League war, I would bet that the number of older players were leaving the game because 
you couldn't carry those older players like you can now. And as you said, with someone like Gallon, you might be able to keep him on for a few hundred thousand dollars, and I'm sure he's on more than that. But you could keep him on at the moment for a few hundred thousand dollars a year, knowing that he might miss a fair few games during the year and you kind of want him to be around during finals time. And it's worth his while to stick around for that few hundred thousand dollars a year. Whereas back during the the formation of the NRL in 1998, you just couldn't do that. You had to get rid of those players. And so I, I would like to see if the numbers drop down at around those times. Uh, and then they, as you said, they sped up again um, once we got to, do, to about 2010 when the salary cap started to rise. Yeah, well, I'm just looking at them now. It was 2001, 2002 were the two years where the number of 30-year-old players was at their lowest yeah, and it was five point eight, and then six point two one percent, and then after that they started, they hovered between seven and eight percent from two thousand and uh, two thousand three to two thousand and nine, yeah. and then just had that big two percent jump in twenty ten, and just slowly climbed up. Um, but yeah, twenty seventeen was just on twelve percent, and twenty eighteen was fourteen and a half, and twenty nine is sixteen and a half. And they're two big jumps. Yeah, so it, it was pretty so, interesting. Yeah, and so it looks like it it really does tell a a bit of a story about where the salary cap was in a lot of ways, which is really interesting that you can line that statistic up with where the salary cap was. Yeah, it's um it's it's quite a, a fascinating thing. I didn't expect the trend to be as obvious as it was when I put them out there. I thought it'd sort of stay around the same sort of figure the whole time, and I didn't expect it to be that pronounced and obvious the trend. So that was that was quite fascinating. Yeah, that's interesting. Far out. Yeah. All right. Is there anything else you want to chat up, mate, that we haven't um we haven't decided to talk about before that you think might be a good idea? Uh, no, I think I, I, we've covered a, a few of the things. I mean, it's been a bit of a quiet week, apart from the Inglis retirement. It's been a little bit of a quiet week. Um, really enjoyed the footy last week. And the thing I'm looking forward to this weekend is the opening of Parramatta Stadium, which I am more excited about than I really should be. Yeah, it's going to be pretty fascinating. It's a, it, it sucks that we've got to wait till freaking Monday for it. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> um, even though I'm down here and I've not seen much, obviously, than you know, what's been put online, but... Um, I'm pretty keen to see how that ground looks when they've got a got a ton of people in there and they've got a bloody game on. I reckon it's going to have a pretty good sound about it too. Oh, I think it's going to go off on Monday. I just I cannot wait. That's I'm probably more excited about that than anything this round. So yeah, I'm just looking forward to it so much. And with any luck, the Tigers will rack up an absolute cricket score there. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Alrighty, well uh, we'll we'll wrap up this episode and. Yep. Uh, we will catch you all later. Thanks. Oh, and where, where can they find us? Oh, that's a good idea. Let's chuck that in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. You can um, contact. You can find League Freak on Twitter, at League Freak. I'm on there, at Andrew RLP. Um, if you want to get in touch, drop us an email at uh, podcast at leaguefreak.com. And, I mean, absolutely, you can find the, the podcast absolutely everywhere now. Yeah. Um, so we've I got found, everything now. I found it the other day behind the lounge. Oh, really? Um, yeah, it's just, it's, mate, it's everywhere. I think the cat was chewing on it one day. I was in, it's funny you say that, because I was in uh, the eastern suburbs of Sydney, and I went into the boot of my car, and I found it with a, a brown paper bag, and it was full of money, and the podcast was in there too, so it's very strange. Pity the podcast didn't share the cash with us. Yeah, that'd be handy. 
It's already, it's already <laughs> off and disowning us, the bastard. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> All right, well, uh, on that note, we'll... Oh, uh, one last thing, one last thing. Go. We need everybody to subscribe to the podcast on their podcasting app. And then, especially if you're on iTunes, give us a five-star rating because that's really important for spreading the word and getting us on all the lists and things like that. So if you can do that and if you send a picture to me of you having done that on Twitter, I will follow you automatically. Bloody hell, that's that's a hell of an offer. Yeah, that's, Um, you know... That's all I can legally offer, by the way. There'll be other things that I'll do. I'll make it good for you. Speaking of offers, if you want to, uh, if you want to sponsor the show or have some ads on here, um, we will sell out. You don't have to work hard on that. We will do whatever you want. Yeah, to, we'll to be, some degree. It, well, you know, I'm I'm willing to go full Julia Roberts in Pretty Woman. Um, I just I will just you know, draw the line at kissing on the lips because that makes me classy, you know. Yeah. You're, um, you might be cheap, but you're not easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, uh, well, I suppose for the, for the third time, I'll see if I can, see if I can wrap it up this time. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else we can think of? No. That, seriously, that's the end. That's all I've got. All righty. I'm, I'm the same. All righty. Thanks for listening, everyone, and um, we'll catch you later. Bye-bye.